Welcome to another edition of Smith and Jones right here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and of course your favorite podcast platform as well. Make sure you subscribe to Smith and Jones, download, subscribe, rate, and review. And Jonesy, we've got another jammed show coming folks way this week and of course there will be reaction very shortly to the NBA All-Star Reserves with the NBA All-Star Game coming up in just a couple of weeks. We got the starters last week, we've got the reserves this week, so we will break it all down. But before we get to anything else, it's also the silly season. The NBA trade deadline coming up on February 9th. And to get into some of the chatter, some of the rumblings that are out there, and what direction some of the teams might go, we are pleased to be joined now by senior writer from NBA.com, Steve Ashburner. Steve, one of the things that Jonesy and I have both said for years in kind of referencing trade deadlines and rumors and speculation and everything else is, and I mean, listen, we could give you a far bigger list than this, but like... Babe Ruth was traded. Wayne Gretzky was traded. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was traded. Shaquille (laughs) O'Neal was traded. Like, I mean, the biggest names in the history of sports have been dealt, so nobody is untouchable. But with that said, are you expecting, like, any team to have a major shakeup, or are we looking at sort of tweaks and ripples as we look ahead to next week? Yeah, you know, I tend to uh, expect the, the, uh, the latter uh, only because that's what most often we get. Um, you get those blockbusters from time to time. Um, and, and a lot of times it seems like we'll get quantity trades versus quality, where all of a sudden there's three teams or four teams involved and nine players and six picks. I mean, it's like, well, all right, you know, and you look for, you look for the pearl, you know, amongst the swine. And, you know, it's like, um, we we uh, you know we we end up falling back on the old uh, the old saying that the team that gets the best player in the trade wins the trade. But you don't know that. You don't know when those picks all shake out and the timelines the teams are on and and, and all that. But no, I know I I do tend to expect less rather than more, only because uh, then we're not disappointed. Um, trade deadline stuff. I don't know. It strikes me that the the biggest trades come in the off season and. Um, uh, you know, and then what the trade deadlines might be might be pivotal, and and they might you know send a team on a on a new path or or um, uh, give a, a contender what it needs, but um, generally it doesn't seem like that's when the superstars get traded. Maybe I'm wrong, but that that's my you know off top of my head. Well, Ash, I, I'm going to reference a trade that happened uh, this summer, and everybody thought the Minnesota Timberwolves had fallen and bumped their heads when they made that deal and traded for Rudy Gobert and gave up like draft picks from here until kingdom come. And then Danny Ainge started wheeling and dealing in Utah and they've rebuilt their team. Everybody thought they were going to be at the forefront of uh, brick for Vic and, and get Wembenyama, but uh, they, they've hardly looked like that. Has, has the market been skewed by that trade where, I mean, everybody wants first-round picks. Everybody wants draft capital uh, when they are, are trading players. Has, has the market been thrown that much out of whack by a trade like the one that happened this summer? As you said, a big trade happening in the offseason. You know, it's a good point because it, does, it did seem like an overpay at the time. And what has gone on in Minnesota since then I mean, they still have not figured it out. I mean, Gobert hasn't been playing badly for them, but 
you know, they haven't they haven't taken off. They haven't dominated, you know, the way you would expect a team with two big men to dominate, you know, on the boards and, and rim protection. Um, and, in fact, they really haven't had Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns to play together all that much. Towns has been out for an extended period of time. So that's unsettled. They still have to prove that they can make that work. And that that has hung over their franchise since the day they made that deal. You know, Utah, they're already happy with the outcome. I mean, they got pieces. They got picks. Um, you know, you're going to be happy with the picks until you blow those as draft picks. So they've, that that's way down the road. And the play of Walker Kessler alone as a, uh, as a rookie who was almost a throw-in in that trade from Minnesota, um, he's looking like he's a, you know, a poor man's Rudy Gobert already halfway through his yes. season, which takes the pressure off the rest of the deal. So they're really happy. It puts more pressure on Minnesota, on the other hand. But, well, wait a minute. Now we, we could have just kept Kessler and found a way to play him with Carl Anthony Towns. And, you know, now he's not Rudy Gobert. He doesn't have the resume, the track record, or, or frankly yet, at least the, the uh, abilities of Rudy Gobert. But that does make it seem like, well, why'd you go spend for a guy who's only a little bit better than, the, than you know, his replacement in Utah? And then give up all that other stuff and, and really hobble, you know, the near-term future of that, that team if this does not work. So, but I think, yeah, I think the price paid, I mean, that was the concern with the Donovan Mitchell trade. It's like, well, wait a minute. If Timberwolves paid this for Gobert, what would someone have to pay for Mitchell? Well, the Cleveland Cavaliers paid a, a you know, a princely sum, and that's worked out great for them. I mean, Donovan Mitchell has fit in tremendously. He's had, you know, his best first half season ever and i don't think that they're um questioning the decision there by kobe altman to uh to make the trade with utah but it, it raised the stakes and i was in minnesota when they traded kevin garnett that seemed like a you know unfathomable um trade to pull off with i think it was five players and multiple picks and a couple of swaps and all sorts of things then and boston got exactly what it needed and minnesota Hardly got anything. I mean, you know, Al Jefferson was a good player for them for a while. And and then, you know, it wasn't long before, you know, there was only like one player left from that hall. So um, you got to be very careful. And I, I think it, it, it does um, shift expectations and maybe, you know, uh, dial them up to unrealistic uh, in many cases. Steve, I don't know if you'll agree for this matter. Jonesy, I don't know if you'd agree either. I don't think we've even discussed what I'm about to bring up. I look at the bottom two teams in each conference, and whether they, and Steve, both Jonesy and I hate the word tank and the idea of tanking. So whether these teams have actually tanked or they're just bad, you've got two distinct teams at the bottom of each conference, Charlotte, Detroit in the east, San Antonio, Houston in the west. After that, at least in the western conference, if you're the Los Angeles Lakers, you still have a chance, a very good chance, to be at the very least in the play-in, if not maybe a playoff team. In the Eastern Conference, eh, maybe it's a little bit tougher if we're talking about the Chicago Bulls, the Toronto Raptors, even the Orlando Magic. The reason I bring that up is the te- teams like, let's say, Chicago and Toronto, Steve, if they're making moves, do you think they're making moves right now to alter their core, to change their direction, to go into a rebuild, to go into tank mode? Because I think they're too far from the bottom four teams to the point where are they really going to get into the victor sweepstakes or are they just going to kind of stay kind of right where they are? They're not good enough to be great, but they're not bad enough to be terrible, and this is going to be where they are, which leads me to think, why not just keep what you got then and then either keep it going forward in the offseason or 
address it in the offseason when maybe you can make your trades then? Yeah, well, you know, uh, with Chicago, I mean, I think the, the situation, as you laid it out, is compounded by the fact that uh, they don't even have their, their pick. It goes to right. Orlando in, unless it's top four protected. protected. So they need to – they really need, need to dredge down and, uh, you know, and, and get down there with the teams that have – you know, I mean, those four teams you talk about, Charlotte has 15 victories. That's tops. Um, Chicago is – is already like eight and a half or nine games ahead of Charlotte, so that would be a that would be a heavy lift in a in a reverse direction for them to even get there down to try to salvage a pick. And I also think with the Bulls, you know, it's a tough sell in that market. I mean, I, I lived in Chicago a long time, so it's um, you know the idea that okay, one playoff appearance last year, and that's supposed to satisfy people after what has been a, a too long rebuild. They got rid of. Um, Tom Thibodeau in 2015, and you know here we are eight years down the road, and they've had one playoff appearance. So for them to, to say, well, we're going to hit a reset button now, be tough sell on that uh, on that fan base. We're seeing what what Blackhawk fans have done to, to attendance for those games at United Center, and I think Bulls fans would be close behind if um, if this team consciously spit out the bit. Um, Toronto. You know that a little bit better. I'm I'm mystified as to why they've struggled to the degree they've struggled. I mean, I can understand some of the, you know, sort of the bigger theoretical issues, like maybe too many similar players. I mean, that whole idea of a bunch of six nine guys who can constantly switch, where well, you end up with uh, overlapping skills and overlapping absences of skills when you have similar players, um, but. Uh, can your market take a, um, you know, a reset, a, a, a do-over, a, a makeover? I, you know, you know that better than me. But I, I just, I look at it and say that this team should be better. So, if if they feel compelled that they have to make a move here or there, uh, you know, they better be careful because you're going to end up going one step forward, two back, and and then then you really are faced with with no other choice. Steve, what do you make of, uh, I'm going to say a team like the Sacramento Kings, because we always talk about going one way and, you know, again, the word that Eric and I despise, tanking. Uh, Some teams do it unintentionally, like Sacramento has for years, just kind of making mistakes and not being very good. And now, to me, Mike Brown's coach of the year, uh, you know, they should have two all-stars in De'Aaron Fox and Doma Sabonis. Fox could be the most yeah. improved player. What, what does a team like that do with this newfound success and prosperity? Like, is this a time that with Mike Brown changing the culture, they say, hey, man, that iron is, is stinking hot. Let's, let's keep hitting it and maybe make some moves and try to push this ball down the road really, really quickly. Or... Or, or do you stay patient if you're them and kind of like we're really ahead of schedule? Um, let's just kind of keep on a slow build. Well, I think I think you uh, you push as hard as you can. Um, you know that that your your players can handle it. You know, Flip Saunders uh, always would would talk about you uh, you give uh, rookies, for instance, as much responsibility as they can handle, and once they start to falter, you pull back on that. I think. I think as a collective, the Kings are, are in that position. I mean, they've, they've waited a long time. They've accumulated a lot of 
you know, uh, higher than average draft picks, many of which, you know, didn't pan out. So I'm looking at their record now through the years. I mean, they're, they're, they're 29 and 21. That's 580 winning percent. They have not uh, had a, a finish over 500 since 2006. And so I don't, you know, you don't consciously hold back. I think they have to get whatever experience they can. And if that means, you know, you, you get bumped off in a first round sweep um, and you can't, you know, you can't even defend home court advantage if they're, if they're fortunate enough to get that in the West, you know, so be it. But I, I think you have to go from here. You, you can't really, you got to let what came before go and say, you know, we finally got something here. We've got a coach. We've got players now that, that fit. I mean, they're not, they're not second guessing the fact that they gave up probably a, an Eastern Conference all-star point guard in Ty- Tyrese Halliburton because they got the return they needed in the, the Monta Sabonis. And you, you kind of have to, to do that and just, you know, shrug and move forward. I look at Detroit. I mean, Detroit's got youth, you know, at every spot. They, they probably, they shouldn't be as bad as they are either. But it is kind of hard. They've had injuries. Kate Cunningham, obviously the, the biggest. But they should be better. They should, they, they would like to keep a guy like Bogdanovich um, in order to be a veteran presence on that team. And, and yet he's highly coveted by, by teams at the trade deadline contenders looking to add a shooter of his, uh, of his caliber. So, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm more of a stand pack guy uh, for the most part. I'm not sure if that, you know, if that's what you meant with the Kings, but you know, I do think that they, you know, you, you gotta you gotta dance with the ones uh, you know that brought you and 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 see where you can go. They never had this. Or they haven't had this in in a generation uh, in Sacramento. So um, you might as well try it. I'm, I'm, I can't even begin to count the coaches that have been running through there since they've had a season above 500. Steve, we appreciate this today. Thanks for joining us. Always appreciate the time from senior NBA writer from NBA.com, Steve Ashburn. And we're going to turn our attention here just away from the NBA for a second. Well, sort of, because, I mean, it's it's still connected to the NBA because it's connected to the basketball in general and the growth and development of teams, of players, of coaches, and just the sport in general, as we are pleased to bring on to the line right now. He's joined us many times over the last few years. The commissioner of the CEBL, Mike Morreale. Mike, lots to get into, and we'll try and touch on it all. But first off, um, congratulations before anything else on on the new deal. And maybe you can talk to us a little bit about how this all came together in terms of the extension for you and just, I would assume then, uh, the collective happiness that the general managers, the presidents, the the board across the league has, um, you know, is and has done with the, the job you've done over the first five years and the direction that this league is heading. Well, I mean, I'm I'm blessed, obviously, to to be part of the CBL and be part of the creation of it. And you know, we're still scratching the surface. And you know, my board and and Richard, uh, our founder, and and all our team owners now just see the future and they see the um, what's in front of us and and where we've come under you know somewhat difficult circumstances at at, at varying times. So that giving giving a runway to to myself and you know indirectly my team is. Is they see that as the as you know the blueprint for success, and I, I tend to agree with them. I'm really excited about the opportunity. We've had expansion, and the league has been terrific. And it's as a guy who's of an older vintage, I look at the comparison to my time watching you know you as a CFL player 
my time watching CFL football. When three down football, we had, you know, 40,000, 50,000 people on a Tuesday night in Toronto as my dad took me as a kid to watch, you know, Condridge Holloway beat the Argos and, and, and drive to Hamilton to never win stadium and watch my Argos lose to uh, you guys all the time. But in, in terms of the popularity of basketball and its viability, we have a structure uh, similar, geographically similar to that of the CFL. Is basketball's popularity going to help see this thing through to make it long-standing, where we don't run into trouble? Because it's it's going great guns right now. It's expanding. It's it's doing terrific. But uh, I'm I'm always maybe I see ghosts where I shouldn't, but I'm always fearful of the future and 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 you know what might be around the corner. Well, it, you know, you and I both, and, and it's only because, and I saw, you know, I was part of that CFL firsthand where, you know, things went well and then things didn't go well, and and I'm not sure the recovery, it, you know, has, has come back for them, and, you know, there were some mistakes that they made as an organization, I can only speak to it because I was involved in it, but, you know, that those are the things that keep me up is not making similar mistakes or not getting too excited about the current state and assuming it's going to last forever because you know life changes and it changes on a dime so what we do have is a tremendous foundation and further to that we have a pipeline of talent canadian talent that is incredible yes. that grows yes. year after year that didn't always happen in football i would suggest you know and we'll see it this upcoming week with we're fielding an all-canadian team for our bcla games that's important to us um, access to Canadian players is important to us. The players going to U Sports and NCAA is important. So, you know, the CFL didn't always put a, a measure of importance on the Canadian part of the Canadian Football League. We really put a big emphasis on the Canadian part. I think that's what's going to help us into the future. And my hope is that the fans in Canada will one day wake up and realize, holy man, do we ever have something incredible in our own backyard? And in the CFL, they've never been able to capture that. They've always felt second rate. But I don't think we need to feel that way for basketball. I really believe there's a future, if done correctly um, and done you know, strategically, that this can grow and grow into something incredibly special. But we have to be cognizant of anything that can go wrong. Absolutely. Mike, you just kind of touched on this, but I'm going to ask the question anyways. Um, my, my brain's firing in 17 directions, so this might be a, like a long-winded soliloquy here. But, Jonesy, you and I going back 20-plus years ago, I remember having conversations and arguments that we were on the same side of in regards to the lack of athletic scholarships in Canada for colleges or universities and the fact that we were, as a result, taking care of those that were gifted academically but not necessarily those that were gifted athletically or athletically and academically. And we were losing a lot of our top, top athletes to schools and, and foundations in the States. And I'm drawing the comparison or the parallel here, Mike, and maybe it's not a fair one, to you've got a, a strong and growing domestic pro league, something that basketball fans, let alone coaches and, and, and visionaries, have thought for years this country absolutely needs. Now it's finally here and it's doing well. But is there a risk that, as much as you just spoke about, the, the amount of talent and the Canadians, does it get to a point where it's like, well, but I still want to get down to the States to play in the G League. Well, I still want to go overseas to play in Spain or in Lithuania or in, in, in wherever, where insert league here. Or does it get to the point where it's like, no, this league is as good. Maybe the seasons don't even match up. I can still play over there and still play in Canada and still have my dreams to potentially play in the NBA one day. And the quality 
and the talent and the respect of the league only further grows and enhances. I don't, I don't know if I'm making sense with that big nope, pat you're that I on there. But, sense. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think you brought up a very important point, is that we structured the league to play at a time when we had access to the best available players, and that is in that spring and summer, you know, opposite the G League, opposite the NBA, and opposite uh, you know, the major international league. So our ability to just hone in on that particular time and then to create a pathway to success that we've been able to do, you know, through mostly through the players, just their talent level and, you know, nine guys in the last 12 months going to signing NBA contracts, we've created this, this pathway and you can still go international and you could probably get a better, you know, contract if you come through the CBL because you're, you know, honing the FIBA game, especially if you're out of U sports, you're out of the NCAA, your, your first real taste of FIBA. Um, and you can get that better contract or you can go to the G league or you can come back from the G league in the off season. So, you know, that situation of time was done on purpose and it's really taken off. Uh, the other thing that, you know, the path we've created through U sports is, is the decision for perhaps a player to stay at U sports or stay in Canada mm. and still be able to play professional mm. even after their first year. Right. So it's, you know, I look at Thomas Kennedy he's a great example of a guy who's played with us since the beginning at a Windsor and now plays on the senior men's national team and now plays on the global jam and now is, you know, dominating at his level. He could have easily gone NCAA, but he saw a pathway through U sport and through us. And I'm hoping that continues into the future. Uh, Mike, it, it just warms my heart to hear that because, you know, and that's something Eric knows that I have been on the soapbox about for years that, you know, you, you you don't have that pathway to the U.S. as a as a Canadian player, or there are more now, but back in the day you didn't. Uh, you go to a CIAU, CIS, U Sports institution. You play four years. They shake your hand. You walk the stage. They give you a degree, and your your sporting career is over. And and with kids being able to stay now, do you have any stats? Anything that that anything that can be used as a recruiting tool for university coaches and college coaches in Canada to say, Hey, listen, like if you stay here, you can still fulfill your dream of playing professional basketball and you can do it right here in your own backyard. You know, our best stats are, are all those that have come and have done that, you know, and, and I, I pointed out, you know, uh, one player just, just as an example, but really it extends to every year, you know, there's going to be, you know, 10 to 20 U-sport players, whether they've just graduated or are currently going to U-sports that are going to get to be on a basketball court, are going to be to travel uh, with a professional team, and some may get, get minutes and some won't. But they get that taste, and and I know the U Sport. I know U Sports appreciates it. We we love the relationship. I, I know the players really enjoy it, and you know I think it's created a healthy competition at the U Sports level for guys that have gone to play in the CBL and come back and play at university. I know there's a there's probably some you know bullseyes on the backs of these guys, but that's really what we've what we've created, and and the best way to show people is to show them and to say, you know, point to the examples of players that have actually done it and, and the success that players have had and the success that programs have had because of players that have spent some time and then returned back to those programs as well. So, you know, you can, we continue to build it step by step. There's nothing better than actually getting people to do it and seeing it in real life. But, you know, that's one singular pathway. And we're, we're seeing it on the NCAA level now too. Now, not with existing players, but graduating players now say, oh, man, if I want to play pro, 
I don't have to wait till September, October, and then go to Romania and not know what the hell I'm doing on the FIBA side. I can actually, you know, have an opportunity to play pro in Canada, maybe in my hometown or maybe somewhere in the country that I that I've always wanted to go and and learn the game before they get to go to the next level. And they, you know, they start off with uh, on two feet rather than one. Mike, I'm going to say this because I don't know if my uh, my my friend and my co-host here will say it himself. He might be too modest, but he said it to me enough <laughs> over the years. Probably born at the wrong time or in the wrong generation. Because <laughs> if this CEBL existed 10, let alone 20, 30 years ago, I don't know. Maybe Jonesy and I aren't even working together because he's a head coach or an assistant coach or he's a GM, and maybe that springboards his career in a different direction. I'm re- bringing that up to ask, based on what you were just talking about, how important is it to you? and to the league to not only be cultivating these young athletes and these young players, to be, but to be cultivating and attracting and building the young coaches, both men and women, in Canada that then either stay with the league or potentially move on to even greater heights as well. I think it's huge. And it's not just, you know, basketball related, right? It's not just the coach, the GM, the player. It's the support staff, the trainer, the broadcaster. I mean, you don't have to look much further than a guy like Javon Shepard, who who took this opportunity and parlayed it into bigger and better things, or Joel Anthony or Jermaine Anderson. And that's just scratching the surface of, of a bunch of people that didn't get an opportunity to play in a domestic league when they came through the ranks, but are back now giving that opportunity to a new group of people. So, you know, graduating players onto the NBA or other leagues and losing them and is it is a good thing. We don't look at it as a as a bad thing. We look at it as a, a thing to celebrate and get behind and, and really that is the most important to us. You know, Ryan Schmidt, who was the head coach of our uh, Honey Badger team that won the championship last year just turned around and won a championship in the BBL in the British Basketball League two days ago. So, you know, we celebrate that. That's that's awesome. Will he come back? I don't know. And if he doesn't, that's okay. Like we've we've done our job, but it's not just restricted to restricted to basketball. It's really trying to build that whole ecosystem. Um, <laughs> Mike, you know, as as much as I talk to you about the things that saw the kind of the 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 downfall, and uh, I wouldn't say well, partial demise of the CFL, because I am a three down guy. I am a three down football guy. Um, there's also opportunities ahead for this league uh, with expansion as well. The, 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 yes. You know, the, the, the league has expanded. I'm looking at it like it is like the CFL of basketball right now where there's teams in Winnipeg now and Calgary and, and you know, it, the GTA's got a couple and Ottawa. And it, it's just I'm so excited for it. Do you ever see a time when some of these teams or some of your, your, your league um, takes in other teams from another league, or you kind of look at merging in this in in your own season with anybody else. I mean, I know there was a time where, you know, we we had the the the, the Birmingham mm-hmm. team, and we had the Memphis Rifles, and all of these all of these teams coming to the Baltimore Stallions, coming to the CFL. Is is that? I know you never say never, but is that somewhere down the line, or do you, are you just kind of still taking small steps right now? I think it's it's definitely on the horizon. You know, our our 
preference is to, you know, look at the Canadian marketplace and ensure that we're in all the spots we need to get to. And we get to that, you know, 14 to 16 team number and we get into three divisions and we, we do it smartly and strategically. Um, I don't see any mergers within the existing landscape within this country. I just don't see it happening. Um, but I do see a lot of um, opportunities to work with other leagues. Like I look at the G League. And I say, okay, well, there's a real opportunity. Maybe there's a CBL team in the G League one year. Who knows? Um, I look at the international landscape. We play in the Champions League of Americas through FIBA. That's another way for us to expose our brand. We're getting talks from major um, Division One programs um, all over Europe, you know, pro level, that want to come and do friendlies. Um, and they're looking to our league to do it. Now, what we have to do is build out our offseason, right, and build it out in a way that maybe right. one day there's a CBL tour. And there's a CBL team that goes across the country in our off-season. Um, so all those things are, are probably most important to create that 12-month-a-year business. But there could be a day that there's a, a border team in, in many of these U.S. markets. There could be. And I wouldn't care whether they played with all Americans or we played with all Canadians. That doesn't bother me. I, I believe in the, in the talent we have here. But there are possibilities for growth because basketball is inherently a global game. That's why. Right, you don't have yeah. to manufacture it, so that's very important. Um, so it can, it, those things can happen easier because they're already built into the overall, you know, basketball fandom across the, the world. Mike, you said something about divisions and, and expanding. Uh, there are so many great basketball centers in our country, and like we're hitting them. Like Fraser Valley's relocated. Um, you know, there's 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 a team in Edmonton. There's now one in Calgary, Winnipeg. Like I said, it, it's it's like it's got like CFL type things for mm -hmm. me as a kid written all over it. Are there some pockets in the country still that you guys have targeted that you and your team have targeted saying uh, we need to get here at some point? We need to get there at some point that don't that aren't yet represented in the CEBL. Yes, I, I do believe, you know, I look at BC, BC can certainly support another another team, whether it's, you know, the Kelowna or Victoria, likely. Um, I look at even, you know, uh, Saskatchewan that could potentially have a team in Regina, or um, you, you look at Quebec City, that's a, that's a natural. I mean, that that's one that, you know, Quebec itself can really support uh, easily another team. And then you look at the East Coast. The, the issue with the East Coast is because we, we had our team in, in St. John's and there's a whole backstory as to we couldn't get into the main arena, et cetera. That's, that's a sidebar to it. But the East Coast has, has really struggled with professional basketball. And I think there's been a little bit of a hangover over there that's not good. So we need to figure that out before we go back in. But I want to get there because it's a great basketball market. I mean, the U Sport Final Eight will be in Halifax this year and it'll be tremendous. Uh, yeah. The CBL team in Halifax, that would be equally tremendous. But we got to be smart in where we're going and make sure we don't fall into the old traps that have been laid before us. But um, And then Ontario, there's there's other markets in Ontario that are certainly open as well. So I, I do envision a you know a 14 to 16 team model um, done properly, done smartly. And now that we've done all this kind of kind of played chess in the offseason, we realigned everything, we got to that, to your point, that CFL of basketball look and feel. Now we just have to be smart in how we go. So if we had a team in the West, we should complement it with the team in the East and keep that conference model and look to build out to an additional conference. And because we're bound by certain time periods of, you know, mid-May to mid-August, 
how do we find more gaps in our schedule so we don't play just a 20-game schedule. We play a 24 or 28, and players get paid 20 or 40% more because they're playing more games. So that's all part of the, the building blocks of where we're going next. Mike, in five years to go from uh, six teams when you started in 2018 to now 10 and spanning, what, I believe six provinces, you're mm-hmm. in, in, in most of the major hubs across the country, as you just discussed, did you – think that it would happen this fast do you think it's happening too fast or are you guys confident in um the the foundation and the stability of these 10 markets right now and thus then springboarding you to the 14 16 you eventually hope to get to yeah i don't think it's been too fast um i i think it's probably been i think we're in bigger markets than i anticipated we would be in in the period of time and going through COVID, etc i didn't expect us to come out of it, um, it so positively. Uh, I think it really framed who we were and who we are and gave us a lot of drive and ambition uh, to make it work because we can get through that and get through anything. But um, I, I think strategically we have a roadmap of where we want to go. I believe now that we have you know four or five new groups on the ownership side, they're adding to what we've already built through Richard and is as the founder, and this league is becoming more financially viable. It's becoming stronger operationally. It's becoming stronger from a governance perspective. So these are the these are the most important things: the building blocks behind the scenes, like right? the, the stuff that people doesn't see or people don't see coming to a game. But what really makes the league a, a true league that it's operated properly and it's governed properly and it's strategic and how it expands and it manages its money. So all those things, um, I think we're way ahead of where I anticipated. Um, but you know, I, I, I'm reluctant to pat myself on the back because we got so much more to go and so much more to do that, you know, but the road to get there is, is pretty bright and, uh, I'm just excited to be part of it. Hey, Mike, I'm not sure how much light you can shed on the situation or not, and, and, and maybe there's not a lot of light to shed anyways. Maybe it's kind of it is what it is. My understanding, at least, my layman's explanation and understanding, the situation in Hamilton has to do with the arena and the revamp that is going to be happening uh, to the arena, and, and that's with uh, Laiwiki and his group from, from the U.S. and what they're doing to a bunch of arenas around North America. But it's obviously pretty bizarre in any league at any level to have the reigning champs relocate so you've now got the hamilton franchise the honey badgers playing out of brampton i know a bunch of people in hamilton it sounds like we're not thrilled about it but they have to understand that's kind of the the business etc etc is there a plan to go back to hamilton when all is said and done with the arena even if it's a different location a new location or where do things stand because again kind of strange to have your reigning champs pick up shop and move somewhere else yeah, and I, I wasn't happy about it either. <laughs> Just to be honest yeah. with you, I, you know, I'm a Hamiltonian. That was my baby. That was, you know, that was my way to contribute back and to the community. And and we were hit with a bunch of roadblocks there. And I, I won't get into great detail, but this, you know, renovation and forced relocation for at least two years. And I say at least because I'm not confident it'll be done in a couple of years. Um, really had us pause and say, okay, well, what's the strategy? Like, where are we going? We're almost you know, stuck in quicksand here. You, you can't have your one foot in, one foot out if you relocate. You know, the, the Hamilton Bulldogs, the OHL team, just announced they're relocating to, to Brantford for three years. So they said, you know, we're, we're going, and we don't think it's going to be ready until this time, and we're gone for three years. And they've renamed themselves the, the Brantford Bulldogs. So, you know, kind of following our our uh, name change. But, but I do believe 
under better circumstances and a revamped, you know, arena and the downtown core being, you know, updated and better access and more people coming downtown and with the right ownership, which I believe there exists in Hamilton, like I think of a few high profile names, I believe it can be successful there. Um, so the good thing is now we don't have to wait. Like I'm not sitting anxiously waiting. They can take as long as they want. And when it's ready to go, then we'll certainly uh, look at that market to come back. I, I believe that it can work there. I really do. And I believe under the right circumstances and right arena and all that stuff, that it could be very successful. I got to say, if I had like however many hundreds of millions of dollars it would take, I still believe that there's this little hotbed in Burlington, Oakville. I mean, I know it's right close to Hamilton. It's right close to Mississauga. But that little hotbed of about 500,000 people right there, whether it's a OHL franchise or a CEBL franchise or even just a 5,000-seat venue that could attract some of these concerts away from Niagara Falls or that maybe can't accommodate, you know, Scotiabank Arena. But, but I digress. I don't have those hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, <laughs> somebody else with a bigger brain and bigger pockets than me. Uh, Mike, 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 we're still, we're still buying lottery tickets and, and – at some point, at some point, uh, put Eric and I at the bottom of your employee list because I'll, I'll, I'm going to be around this game forever. Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll mop floors for you. I'll welcome to, welcome to uh, Burlington, the Burlington Braves of the CEBL. I'll be your greeter. Eric will be the, right there beside me, like those two guys in the in the uh, in the balcony with the Muppets. We're in it for life. So. Uh, save us a job somewhere. Save us a job for all of you. 100%. And Eric, before I go, I I will tell you, I feel the same way about Burlington. So we're on the same page here. We just got to find that money. So let's let's work on it. eh? It's in Eric's basement. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the only money I got. Anyways, it's buried in the basement. All right. Thanks, Mike. Congrats again. All right, Mike. Thanks, guys. That was the commissioner of the CEBL, Mike Morielli. All right, Jonesy, we have not even touched on the all-star reserves, and that's probably what a lot of people want to dive into because this is now the time to say, this guy deserved it, that guy didn't, this guy got absolutely hosed, so we will break it all down next, and I can't wait for you to tell me how you got it right because you gave me a list of like 14 names last week, so technically you're right, right? Like you're not wrong on anything because you never actually gave me a finalized list. Well, I didn't have to have a finalized list till this week, but I I, got to tell you, even on the finalized list, there's going to be snubs. So, yeah, in a way, we both got it right because we had all, at least I had all these guys that could have been possibilities. And if they're not on the list, they're certainly going to be on the snub list. All right. When we come back, though, we'll, we'll break down all the names. We'll give you some of the snubs, at least as we see it. But I also am going to give you one of my ideas. It's not necessarily original because you might have said it last year. Many people have said it as well. But I think the NBA needs to change at least one thing looking ahead to next year to future years. And I'll tell you what that thing is as it relates to the All-Star Game when we continue on Smith & Jones. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Again, subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts. Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks again to Mike Morielli and Steve Ashburner for joining us on the show. All right, you've been waiting around, wanting us to weigh in. And here our take on the All-Star Reserves. And if you haven't heard already, I'm sure you have by now, 
But Pascal Siakam not named to the Eastern Conference All-Star team in spite of the fact that he's averaging 25-8-6. and 25-8-6. Now, yes, I understand that the Raptors are seven games below 500. I get it. Record counts. Jonesy has said that many times over the last 20-plus years working with me. I've said the same thing as well. I'm sure many of you feel the same way in addition to the two of us. However, when I look at some of the other All-Stars that were named as reserves in both the East and the West, there are players that come from teams below 500 as well. Tyrese Halliburton is an All-Star. His team is four games below 500. DeMar DeRozan, an All-Star. His team four games below 500 how about the new york knicks just a couple of games above 500 but you want more that are below 500 let's look in the western conference at certain players that made it from teams below 500 the portland trailblazers i think there was no mistake that dame lillard was going to be there but still below 500 shea gilgis alexander three below 500 so and and i'll give you one other one his team is not below 500 in fact they're 10 plus at the time we speak right now 13 games above 500 but jaron jackson is an all-star and he has missed 16 games i don't get it jonesy and before i give you the full list of the all-stars again for those that have been maybe under a rock and haven't heard it yet what i teased going to break is here's a way to solve the snub or at least partially solve the snub because even with my idea there are still going to be quote-unquote snubs or guys left off each year that maybe should have made it. The NBA needs to go to 10 reserves, not 7. The rosters in the league now are 15 plus 2, 17 guys. But even if you went just with the 15, the all-star teams should have 15 players, not 12. And if it went to 15, I've got to assume in the Eastern Conference, Pascal Siakam would be there probably Jalen Brunson would be there, and I'm thinking James Harden as well. Again, we've still been given the full list, but I want you to jump in here. Well, and the one that surprised me was Philadelphia uh, being where they are, and and as well as they played. Yeah, you know, they've got an MVP candidate in Joel Embiid. There's there's no doubting that, and I mean, the flawed process had him left out of the starting lineup, but... uh, James Harden's a big part of their success. Uh, Julius, Julius Randle has been with the Knicks for years. What's the difference this year? To me, it's Jalen Brunson. And if there was only one New York player to be, be an all-star, I'd have given it to Brunson over, over Randle. Um, you make a great point with uh, Halliburton, uh, DeRozan, um, and, and then you look at a team like Atlanta that is 500 and has... Uh, you know, been kind of climbing and, and treading water after being down out below the playoff line. And, and Trey Young's me, averaging one, 27 and 10. 27 and 10. The, yeah, yeah. And, and the, the, one that, the one that, I guess, upsets me or hurts me, and this is where your extra guys would help, man, De'Aaron Fox, I mean, everybody talks about Lowry Market, and we had the game last night, how... You know, he's a potential most improved candidate. The guy that would get my first vote for that is De'Aaron Fox. If you recall last week, go to the tape. Go listen to the podcast last week. It's available. Again, download, subscribe, rate, and review. I had Fox on my team even ahead of Sabonis. That's not to say that I didn't think Sabonis was deserving, but I actually thought that the Kings might only get one 
And if I had to choose between the two, I was actually taking Fox ahead of Sabonis. So, Jonesy, I'm in lockstep with you on the deer and Fox thing. Absolutely 100%. He's my most improved player. He is, with all due respect to Lowry Markinen or anybody else. And uh, you just go and look at his fourth quarter numbers. Go and look at when it's money time, what this guy is doing. So that's the one that, that, that kind of bothers me. And, and people would say, well, um, to, to, to put him in, who would you take out? Well, look at the guys that teams are below him. I'd take out like, Jaron Jackson, Martin, period. Sorry, Jaron I, Jackson. Jaron Jackson, yeah. Games. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't understand. And, but although, you know, those are coaches voting, so... Uh, you know, I, I have to kind of defer and and uh, step aside a little bit. But uh, in my eyes, De'Aaron Fox deserves to be an all-star. And uh, I would have no problems with, uh, you know, Pascal in there, Trey Young in there, uh, uh, Jalen Brunson in there. I, I, I would have no problems with that. And if you expand to 15, yeah. And you know, the other thing too is, Eric... We saw it years ago in the All-Star game. I wouldn't exactly say load management, but Fred was not was kind of banged up last year, and he didn't play a whole lot, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you have extra guys, maybe you can manage the minutes a little bit, even in an All-Star game where fans wanted to see want to see certain guys play. So uh, yeah, I think that's a great idea. Expand it to fifteen, and. Um, you know, they've already tweaked the fan voting, which is good. Uh, but I, I would expand the rosters to, to 15 myself. Phoenix so again, got nobody if you haven't, either. If you haven't heard it, I mean, it, it's out there. I'm sure if you're a Hoops fan, if you're a Raptors fan, you've, you've heard the news already. But I'll give it to you quickly. Eastern Conference Reserves, Joel Embiid, DeMar DeRozan, Jalen Brown, Bam Adebayo, Drew Holiday, uh, Julius Randle, Tyrese Halliburton. Those are the seven in the Eastern Conference in the West. John Morant. Damana Sabonis, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, so the Canadian gets in there, Paul George from the Clips, Damian Lillard, Laurie Markkinen, and Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, I still, no, no disrespect, this isn't personal with the guy. I'm sure he's a great guy. I'm not, I'm not going to drive the tank over Jaron Jackson and be the leader of the anti-Jaron Jackson club. I'm just shocked that a guy, and I'd say the same thing if it was a Toronto Raptor or an L.A. Laker or whoever. You missed 16 games. We're talking about a third of the year, and you're still an all-star. Uh, and, Jonesy, I know it's the coaches, and the coaches have forgotten more about basketball than I'll ever know. But when you're playing the Memphis Grizzlies, you're game planning for John Morant. And I'm not saying you're not game planning for Jaron Jackson, but you certainly weren't for 16 games. I'm shocked that he's on there. Um, when it comes to snubs in the West, Fox is probably right at the top of that list. Uh, and we've talked at, at great length about him, but I'm still, I'm still perplexed on the Siakam thing. I really thought he was going to be there, Jonesy. If you can't make an all-star team, no matter what your team record is, at 25-8-6, that's what you're averaging, man, that's, that's tough. I mean, it, it, based on what I've read so far, he'd be the biggest snub in history based on just numbers. Some of the other snubs, we talked about Harden, uh, Fox, Brunson, Jimmy Butler, uh, Anthony Edwards. We mentioned Trey Young, um, Darius Garland. Maybe Anthony Davis. He's missed a bunch of time, though, as well. So those are the names that come to mind for me. Yeah, uh, it, probably the same thing. Like I said, in the East, it, like, you know, Trey Young, um, Jalen Brunson, um, 
Yeah, and I'm like nobody, and Pascal Siakam, and nobody's nobody's considered the fact that you know James Harden still is on a team that is third in the NBA, a half a game out of second, and he's been a huge part of Philadelphia's success. And and you know he's had he's got that history of being an All Star too. Sometimes those guys just get a nod automatically because they've been All Stars perennially, and people just add them in. So. It'll be interesting. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And uh, you know some of those guys are going to use that, uh, you know, as fuel and as motivation going forward. But, um, yeah, expanding the rosters, that would help. Certainly would help. Yep. Well, Jonesy, add it to the list. You've got like 99 things. I've now got one. Send it to the NBA. Yeah. Folks, maybe again. I can get you to the, maybe I can get you in the meetings with me, right? <laughs> All right. Done. Done. I'll carry the bags. Uh, subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts. Google, Apple, Spotify, wherever it may be. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. We will have the NBA trade deadline next week, so we will be all over that on our next edition of Smith & Jones.